critical infrastructure security at scale? How do you make that larger based on the number of people and the flow that we have in an environment like that? Welcome to The Circuit Magazine, the number one source of information on protection matters, the industry-leading magazine for all security professionals who want to stay ahead of the game. Finding career success in large corporations and organizations as an EP specialist. Today, we're very pleased to speak with Chaim Roberts, head of Roberts Risk Solutions and someone who works inside a very large office complex, building complex, the World Trade Center. I'm here with Sean West. Why is this such an interesting topic? And I'm, I'm sort of angling for the use of distinguishing between the family office experience and the really large corporation. I think it's two completely separate areas, you know, two different arenas completely um, from corporate to a family office. Working in a family office, you can pivot pretty easily if the client wants what they want. It's very easy to cut through red tape and get that piece of equipment or that action, something, implement some new strategy they want putting in. On the corporate side, there's a lot more layers of red tape that you need to go through. I'm quite interested to hear from Haim anyway. It's great hearing people's stories. And he's pivoted from a successful career in the music industry into the corporate security sector. So it'd be good to hear a little bit about that also. Absolutely. And that and that cross-pollination, I think, is really fascinating because we've had, uh, you know, Kate Bright from uh, Umbra previously on the podcast where we talked about the transition between EP uh, and uh, PAs. So she's came, she's, she came from the, the world of PAs. Um, and we've had, I think, some others on who have come from a totally different background but i don't think we've ever had someone from the music industry so this is this is quite the pivot but but maybe that in itself is a golden nugget because we're talking about pivoting to work in a really large corporation and much as maybe working with a celebrity has some sort of pizzazz appeal you know closeness to the to 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 the celebrity so maybe we have colleagues out there who want to work for the big brand names or the big organizations and i wonder what they're going to face either leading the security for those organizations how can you be everywhere at once or being a small component in a very large organization, how can you, how can you feel connected? Um, I, I, I don't know. What, what considerations do you think uh, our EP uh, community should have when, when, when looking at large corporations? It's, oh, it's difficult. I mean, I, I've experienced things like that on a smaller scale from, you know, when I started my business and it was small with, you know, a small close protection team and then it grew, you know, a number of residential teams another close protection team. And when things are small, they can be managed quite easily. You can have a nice you know, bond with your team. You know, you get to know everybody intimately, but as it steps out and it gets bigger and the web spreads and it ends up in different countries, you have teams in different countries, it becomes a lot more challenging to manage say, and have them, you know, the trust, the relationships. You have to rely a lot on third party uh, and I guess in the corporate world, if you're a manager of, like Haim is, you know, running World Trade Center security, 
he's going to have to have a lot of trust in third parties of different organisations that he's dealing with. Um, it's it's not going to be up close and personal. With he's not going to know his whole team on an intimate level, I guess. Um, so it'll be interesting how he deals with them challenges. Indeed, scalability. It's the question every small business owner sort of grapples with. And yet, if you're granted it in in, 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 in a corporation, fine. But how do you then deal with it? I think this applies to all EP uh, operators. So let's get into it. Haim Roberts, big friend of the industry, also massive on Clubhouse. We're going to be speaking with him about protecting the larger organization. And now, let's meet one of the contributors to The Circuit magazine. Effective security management and protecting large facilities. We're here today with Chaim Roberts, founder of Roberts Risk Solution. Elijah and myself are delighted to have you on board. How are you doing? I'm doing very well. It's a little cold here in New York today, but other than that, we're uh, keeping things safe, secure, making sure people are doing what they need to do as part of our uh, protective uh, boundaries that we need to keep in force. So all in all, everything's well. I like that. And, and, and people in, in very much the multiple, because of course, uh, your work involves larger facilities and larger areas. And, and that's a topic perhaps we'll, we'll come into uh, throughout the day. Uh, but, but our quick start for 10, three quick fire questions. Um, what is the problem you think we're trying to solve when we try to enact corporate security for larger facilities as opposed to, let's say, our EP community? I think the biggest thing that stands out is the need to understand the holistic sense of security. What is security and keeping people safe? It's it, the, the person is one element of that. Uh, people, when I look at what my day-to-day work is at the World Trade Center, I work for the Port Authority of New York, New Jersey at the World Trade Center. Uh, it's a city within a city. So we have pre-COVID 250,000 people going through on a daily basis. So the, the processes and the staffing required to uh, protect that environment are very different in that we have very large guard forces. We have just enormous security system deployments of cameras and card readers and all of the elements that go into the systems uh, and then the processes and operating procedures that coalesce to, to make that an effective protection uh, program. You know, the layered elements are certainly in play the same way that an, a, a corporate uh, executive protection agent or a celebrity protector uh, are looking at things, but we look at that at uh, an even larger scale. So really critical infrastructure security at scale. How do you make that larger based on the number of people and the flow that we have in an environment like that. Uh, it certainly speaks to the same core ideals and concepts that need to be in play, but we, uh, we really have to look at it in a, in a larger context. Uh, situational awareness uh, really comes down to the, to the core element of what we have to have there and what supports that situational awareness. Okay. Situational awareness. I love it. Now, I know, and Elijah knows, that you are passionate about it. You know, you're, you're prolific, even on uh, Clubhouse, for example. But where does that passion come from? So I have a, a string of 
points in my life that brought me to where I am to, to this passion. So I actually started as a child loving the Hardy Boys and all of these wonderful things that as a kid inspired me. But I didn't go that direction in life. I just loved spies and all those things. And I actually spent about seven and a half years in the music business uh, before I went into security. And uh, what I did in the music business was actually uh, run a jazz and classical record label uh, that was called Arabesque Recordings out of New York. They had been around about 20 years. Uh, and what I effectively did for seven and a half years was business continuity and uh, figuring out how to take a record label that had done LPs and CDs and take it into the era of digital. And what I figured out after seven and a half years was I didn't necessarily want to stay in that business, but what I had done was business continuity, not the music business. The music was 1%, 99% of it was learning business processes, working with people, uh, all the elements that I learned in school as a saxophone player, the all played to this uh, in terms of quantitative uh, concepts. And so I figured out what can I do now to take my passions as a child of spies and law enforcement and detectives and what I learned in the real world in business after, after going to school. And I figured out that getting a degree that lends itself towards that, uh, which led me to John Jay College at City University of New York uh, in protection management. And so I really found that business continuity and risk management and security management were the things that drove me uh, towards that point. So I really found just a passion for protecting people uh, as the eldest uh, brother to two younger sisters, uh, having witnessed uh, just through TV, you know, a 9-11 sitting in, in class, uh, in a music class and learning about what had happened, just all of these points pushed me to where I then ended up going back to school, figuring out how to make this a real uh, mechanism for me to take the passion, the experience, the expertise, what I had done, and find that it ch channeled me into security. I, my first job out of, out of uh, graduate school actually was with a contract security firm working on business continuity and risk. And so it all has led me to here. Oh, great story. What would you say then? Because, you know, we often talk about Oh, transition from the military, transition from from else. Uh, you know, you, you've got a unique story, but then equally, I think you've got a lot to teach the rest of the community. Um, what would you what would you say to the uninitiated when they're thinking about business continuity, risk management, and generally protecting large communities? Uh, that the, the people that don't know anything about it, what what should they know? I think the there's an openness to it. You have to be skilled in understanding how to deal with people. This all comes down to people and what do people's needs uh, entail uh, and how we communicate with people. It all goes to the core elements of dealing with people. The security is, as it was in the music business for me, the smallest piece of it. You know, those are all core uh, concepts, some standardized, some not. We know there's not a lot of standards uh, amongst the industry. They try to coalesce under, you know, as is community guidelines, you know, elements that we can draw together. But if we can understand what drives people, and we, as uh, people with a passion for protecting people and assets and property, uh, can take that and put it together. I think that's really the element we have to convey. And you can learn 
the things that need to be learned about cameras and card readers and uh, programs uh, and processes and technology. But the passion is where you have to, to derive that from. Uh, one of my earliest research papers in, in graduate school was about training and oversight of large-scale contract security programs. And it was something I didn't know a lot about at the time. I knew business. I knew what was an appropriate mechanism for uh, you know dealing in business processes, but how do you apply that? Anybody can do that if you have an MBA, if you have uh, an understanding of business, but that's why I viewed what I did as really, it's a master's of business administration with a specialty in security. So I, I think that lends itself again to oversight of large security programs. And I think it's just that passion has to be there. We have to be the, the uh, you know, the ones, the sheepdogs in this situation. So, so I want to dig in on that a little bit because again, I, I think your your story is 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 inspiring, uh, but also similar in the sense that you you know while traditionally uh, most of us protectors might come from the ranks of law enforcement or come from the ranks of the military and then transition in, you know you know there's a segment uh, of our community that you know your instance, you know you were a musician, then you were in the music business, and then you made that crossover into uh, corporate protection. And as you were doing this, you found these similarities, you, you, these traits. Uh, and so my question is for others, whether they're in, again, the music business or the automobile industry or something else, you know, what advice do you have for them if they have an interest in corporate security or any of those related fields in terms of taking some things that might already be in their toolbox and kind of trying to map them over to get into this part of the business? That's a sharp question. Oh, boy. Uh, getting right to the core of it, Elijah. So one of the things that I really uh, have spoken to, and I've spoken to students looking uh, to finish their degrees, I, I've taught at John Jay and had students ask this uh, in a similar mechanism, but really it's about understanding what your skill sets are. You know, it's about presenting to uh, corporate uh, executives. It's about communicating the needs of an organization so you can achieve the budgetary needs. So having those skills along with the passion are what have to fit together. Uh, when I looked at my music uh, background in the as, as a musician and doing years of music theory, the quantitative elements and how you view putting together notes, you know, melodies and harmonies is the same as uh, looking at a, a risk assessment, the inside out of, uh, of a system and what you need to do to break it down to make sense of it. All the notes that fit together vertically or horizontally on a, on a piece of staff paper as a musician, it's the same way I need to take a system and understand what might not work uh, as part of it. So if I'm looking at an access control system and I understand the difference between a card reader and a, and a panel and the server that it's, that it's running to and the fiber runs back to the switches, you know, all of those elements, it's just a different physical piece of hardware or logical concept. And as long as we appreciate the content, it really applies across the board. It can be security, it can be anything, uh, which is why when people talk about uh, the idea of insecurity, what do I need to do? Well, find your passion and focus. There are folks I've talked to and I, I talk about the security systems with them and they have a passion for cameras and they may be a photographer. Uh, they love sports. So 
I've spoken to them and say, well, find a way that you can work in that protection element. You know, there are teams that travel, there are stadiums. You know, when you talk about folks who love music, I've advised about the, the protection industry and, you know, to the point of the celebrity touring that you've worked in and, and spoken to and teach about, you know, that it's just a matter of putting it together in that, in that way. But at the core of it are these, I think what the industry terms as soft skills, I just, term them as skills that go along with anything, but the the ability to talk, convey, communicate, and obtain the resources we need to achieve that protection. I, I, I love that. And, you know, one of the things I kind of take out from the things that you said, your underlying, you know, out, outside of, you know, the core uh, duties or roles and responsibilities the thing that's kind of under the surface is always the love for whatever that is, or the, the passion. You kind of use that word several times here. And I think that part's important because if you have that, you can, you know, to your point, you know, if, if, if I had a passion for motorcycles and I wanted to be in the protection industry, you know, I could gear I can structure, I can strategize to try and look for clients that are in that sector, you know, whether that's Harley Davidson or, or, you know, uh, racing in Monaco, you know, you can look for that. And if you're good at the area that you're in, you, you, if nothing else, you have a, a conversation starter when you're in the interview process. So, you know, if, it, you know, if you were a long distance runner, you know, there are uh, comp companies where the hiring managers you know, are, are big long distance runners. There are companies where the, the protectee is a long distance runner. So if nothing else, you can get in at that ground level and say, okay, here's my passion. Now, how can I marry that to the, the business? And so a lot of people, when they think uh, corporate security, they think, oh, this is mundane or this is boring. But if, if there's something that drives you into doing this, and, and again, I want you to speak to this a little bit. If, if, if you see that connection there, then you enjoy what you do. And that comes through in your work and in your work product. That's it a hundred percent. And I think you speak to it very well in your book, even about how do you market yourself? That market is where the passion is. You know, if you're, if you're trying to guide yourself into the marketplace, as you're saying, if I love mo motorcycles, well, I'm going to find a mechanism to do that. If I have a specialty in repairing vehicles and you know, how do you put that into it? Well, my background before I joined uh, the Port Authority was in, was with a contract security company. I was going to property management firms in New York City as part of that company and working with property managers to understand business continuity as well as uh, enterprise risk that they needed to consider, uh, especially this was, uh, you know, we're talking now in a post uh, Superstorm Sandy world and trying to convey what those needs are. But along with that, these are security programs where people are posted at the front of buildings. Well, prior to that, I always was walking into a building in the music business and there's somebody at the front desk who knew my name, knew everybody else's name, knew what was happening in the building, knew all the ins and outs, and he worked for a security firm. So when I was in that role uh, of overseeing folks with that responsibility, my passion was how do you work with the public, make them feel comfortable, safe in their environment so that they don't have to think about these uh, elements. It really is a matter of gearing yourself towards uh, the, uh, the those passionate items and, and marketing yourself in that appropriate way. I mean, I see us all as protectors. Uh, protector is, is an overarching term and it really 
I think brings all of that together. Sure. So when you talked about, you know, you would, when you, when you have staff or you have employees or, or people that you're supervising, you're trying to, trying to get them to uh, have the same mindset or um, motivate them into to being in an area where they're, they're vested in that. But one of the things we, we mentioned at the beginning of this at the introduction about where you work at. So the, the scope and the scale of that, though, is massive. And I think for some, it's hard to kind of wrap their head around that. So, so how do you kind of, or, or do you even look at it as massive? Is this just like, uh, just a, uh, it, it's, it's you going to work every day, it's just you going to work? Or is it like, man, I'm going to this huge environment that has the attention of the world sometimes on it. Uh, do you feel that weight at all? I feel that weight every moment. If I'm on site, if I'm not on site, I still work remotely uh, a few days a week in this environment. Uh, there is not a moment that my phone isn't dinging or not dinging, where I'm thinking about this. Well, I, I have uh, a unique uh, role there as well that the security uh, operations centers concept, we actually have what we call a situational awareness communication center, uh, as well as additional uh, security operations centers, one geared towards vehicle screening and one that is embedded within an operations center where we are looking at cameras and doing access control oversight and communicating amongst ourselves to interdict uh, persons who may be violating access control points or attempting those uh, and working with law enforcement directly as embeds within the, uh, so I see the physical scope of it every day, but I also make sure to get up from my desk and walk the campus. Uh, when I say the campus, the World Trade Center is a 16 acre site, but we have vertical and uh, <laughs> vertical space that's just enormous. Uh, three, you know, there's three and a half million square feet in the transportation hub, which connects us to the port. The Port Authority has the path trains that run between New Jersey and New York. So that that transit center connects our path trains to New York City. Uh, we also connect to the uh, Metropolitan Transit Authority's New York City subway system. We have, I believe it's 11 subway lines that go to our campus. Uh, at Crane, we have the 9-11 uh, Memorial Museum. We have property managers running the, the office towers there. It's just a, it, it's 10 million feet of office space. It's 4 million feet of retail and, and transportation uh, facilities. And we essentially connect to the entire span of uh, west to east in Manhattan when you connect us to all the other entities that are there. So it really, they're just not, not all, just the numbers alone of people that pass through a campus like that, uh, but just the physical space that has to be protected uh, is, is an enormity that is felt every moment. I mean, we, we work hand in glove with uh, our own internal Port Authority Police Department. We have the New York City Police Department, the uh, uh, New York National Guard Empire uh, Shield Task Force is there. Uh, we have the, you know, just state police are down there. So we have to work with all these entities and we understand that the scope of protection is not uh, limited just to what happens within our transit hub. We have to work with all these stakeholders, all these partners, and it really is, a, as I've turned it to, to folks, a city within a city. You know, there's small cities that don't have as many people within that space working and living uh, adjacent to the space. Uh, or traveling through that space on a daily basis. So 
again, pre-COVID, having a quarter million people daily going through that space is just, it, it really, it can weigh on you. And there's a lot that happens. We have to be cognizant of every little thing that occurs uh, and uh, work to stay ahead of it, which is why the situational awareness concept is that. But then speaking, again, I'd love to speak to some elements in your book. You talk about spatial awareness as a protector. So with the, the massive number of guards, uh, when I talk man, guards, these are, you know, security guards that are that are contract folks, uh, or we have vehicle screeners, they have to be supremely aware of what's occurring directly in their space. So when I walk the site, I see what is the command presence of those persons? How do we convey that to the managerial aspect of the contract firms? Uh, and then internally, how do we ensure that all of these things are working together? Because it is, it's just a massive space with a lot of people and it can be porous if you're not uh, attentive to all of those elements. Mm -hmm. Wow. That's massive. So, it, you know, in, in your role, as you interact, because I, I really, I think that our listeners here, you know, some of them's like, oh, wow. I never thought about it like that in terms of, of how much um, synergy you need to have with some of the other entities that are also doing business in that space. And so again, whether you're one-on-one -on -one as a protector whose client is, you know, at an award show uh, or at a board meeting, you have a role, but they also have a job to do. And so now let's take you or your staff and realizing that they are in this environment here where security has to be, you know, front and center of your mind. You talk about the pressures that come with it and, and the history that's around those, that area and, and, but but how do you prevent overdoing it? If, if, am I saying that right? You know, how do you teach on that? So someone comes in and they say, okay, I understand all the massive responsibilities that come with this. I'm going to make sure I do a great job. But, you know, how do I, but, the, you know, there are people that are commuting. There are people that are sightseeing who've never been to this area before. There are businesses, you know, obviously want, you know, people to come in and spend money there, you know, uh, they're, they're executives, so, you know, the politicians. So how do you uh, calibrate the individuals that are working these sites so that they can do the job, but not overdo the job? Yeah, we don't want it to be militaristic. We don't want a fortress. We need it to be open and inviting. And so th there's a lot of fine lines at a location like ours that are sensitive, you know, with, with uh, a historical risk profile uh, of, you know, multiple, you know, the absolute Enormous, enormous, terrible, uh, horrible stuff that happened on 9-11, uh, which to, to a degree is, was not a controllable item within the World Trade Center. You know, there's a lot of external factors. Uh, there are things about communications that are derived out of that day that I think uh, have been remedied and have, those are the things we work towards. But working towards the risk factors of something like a 1993 event, uh, which I think the world uh, now recognizes, you know, when you look at vehicular borne uh, explosives or uh, a site that requires uh, bollards and, and interdiction of vehicles uh, if they're trying to enter a site, uh, there's a lot of other considerations. So you have to balance the appropriate countermeasure selection. 
you have to balance the, the level of command presence. It really, as you said, it's calibrating all of these elements in an appropriate way. Uh, it's working with all of those stakeholders, not dictating to them what that uh, environment needs to look like, but working with them. You know, setting baselines. One of the things I, I had a hand in was developing the security guidelines for the campus derived out of uh, documentation that was developed to design the site again. Uh, and I think any any environment that somebody is looking to secure needs this. You need to have a, an overarching uh, plan for a master security plan. You have to have design criteria for what you're building, why you're building it. And then the deployment of, of assets, of the people assets, of technology assets needs to align with that. And then working with the other stakeholders is important to communicate on a regular basis to ensure that that balance is there. You may be scaling up at certain times based on the protective intelligence that you have, of uh, threat awareness, uh, known vulnerabilities that might have emerged. Uh, hopefully you have that regular communication. You have to set that. Uh, one of the things is just, regular calls, regular roundtables, regular tabletops and exercises, and ensuring that the entire community is aware of what that threat profile is. But again, you don't want to overwhelm the personnel that are working there. You want to be as invisible as possible. And I think that speaks itself, uh, you know, in, in every realm of security. We don't want security theater to the point that it just looks overbearing and people don't want to be there, but we need to have that environment secured. So that it's a fine balance. And I think every location, be it the World Trade Center, be it a concert venue, be it a small store, everybody's got to find what that appropriate balance is. You see it now, uh, you know, when, when you look at armed personnel being deployed to retail locations with a lot of the issues out, especially, you know, we look at San Francisco and areas, what is the appropriate level of deployment that is inviting enough to allow the public to come in and feel safe in whatever context we can provide in this new new uh, paradigm, uh, but also uh, ensure that we're, we're providing a level of protection that's appropriate. Well, I mean, that's a great example. You know, if, if you think about the, you know, traditional profile of a customer that goes to the Louis Vuitton store, you know, they don't want to have a pat down walking through the door. But, you know, at the same time, from a corporate perspective, Louis Vuitton doesn't want half of their merchandise to run out, you know, because a bunch of teenagers decided to do a flash mob. So, so yeah, so it is finding that balance. And I'm sure that's, uh, it's a challenge everywhere, but I'm sure you look at it and have to look at it through a lens of, you know, the magnitude of it. Uh, but I think there's some wonderful takeaways there. And, and I'm sure if you go back and review your camera footage, you'll see I, I've, I've been out of that site multiple times. But I do. I think one of the impressive things is uh, is the fact that that and, you know, and for the, for the listeners who've been who've, who've been there, I think that the majority of the processes that you guys have in place are uh, unless you're looking with a trained eye they are uh, blended into the environment. So, you know, so you'll, you'll, you'll see the physical security, you'll see the, the uniformed officers, you'll see the Port Authority agents, you'll, uh, I don't know if it's Na National Guard, you'll, you'll see them out there walking around, but at the same time, it's still inviting enough for those tourists who are coming there to visit the memorial or to do shopping at the Oculus. They still can go about, you know, the, even the kids on the skateboarders, you know. That well, that, can... that, that's, a, that's a rough one. You, you raise kids on skateboarders. So th this that, that's a, 
I, I have to speak to skateboarders in particular, and I appreciate the culture uh, that goes with it. The, the challenge in an environment like ours is twofold. And I've had this discussion and actually stopped uh, skateboarders myself. Is So technically it is against our, our rules and regulations to, to operate a, a skateboard or any of these kinds of devices, but it, it's, a, it's a topic of interest uh, particularly because it poses two things. One, a, a safety hazard to the public that's there. Uh, and second, we, although we're a retail environment and a transit environment, uh, we are supremely cognizant of what's occurred there. We wanna try and be as calm and peaceful in that environment as possible uh, and honor it in a way that's, that's um, appropriate because you know we, we have the, the pools there we have the names of the folks and it, and it really is a sacred ground that although there is a retail environment meant to help revitalize uh downtown manhattan uh that that we certainly want to ensure um that we're honoring it appropriately so it really it's a fine balance between all the groups that are there um but skateboarders in particular i i would i i would ask them to go there's a great skate park on the other side of the west side highway built specifically for them uh, but, you know, it's just an interesting thing you, you brought up. But, yeah, it draws draw all kinds of cultural um, aspects. It almost brings back, uh, you know, people want to be there, which is a good thing. It's just a matter of, uh, of uh, again, what's safe, what what's desirable, how do we draw those lines appropriately. But I think even, even to that, though, uh, you know, I'm sure you guys have figured out a technique to do that without creating a bigger problem. Or, or, you know, diverting all your resources over to, you know, deal with these kids that, that want to ride around when, you know, there, there's some other areas that have to be covered. And so I think that speaks to that, that you know, that, 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 um, that plan that you guys have in place and being able to take this big, massive footprint and still, you know, divide up that grid enough that you can address uh, on a micro level, uh, but still pay attention to the macro. That's exactly it. We have to look at it in that sense. And that's part of why we have levels of what, uh, you know, different security operations groups look at our situation awareness center, uh, you know, has oversight for the campus that I, that I oversee. Uh, and, and then we have microcosms within that, that are, that uh, we have attention toward, but that, that really is exactly it. You know, we, we have to have this, uh, this uh, understanding of what that, that balance is. And I think in terms of, you know what the re, you know you bring up resources resources in this environment are scarce you know we have people that aren't coming to the same degree that they were i think COVID has hit the protection industry in a very unique way and it hits transit environments and retail environments as well so what does that deployment look like i, I think that you, you hit on some points there that uh, are are really the, the things that we need to look at for the next couple of years, you know, COVID doesn't look to be going away. So, you know, as, as uh, an environmental um, elements, in addition to, as you said, deploying to the, to the level of concern from a microcosm macro, uh, you know, we have a lot of different things we have to parse out to ensure we're addressing risk appropriately. We're not just throwing things at the wall, you know, the planning, the processes uh, have to be appropriate, but you talk about the plans to address something like that, uh, be it COVID or, or skateboarders or uh, just the overarching uh, programmatic elements that are that are regularly in play. There's a plan for everything. And we also plan for what we don't plan for, right? Uh, but there, really it's a matter of, uh, understanding your operating procedures and how that ties in to the technology and the people that are deployed. So I think it's, it's always the concept. And this just goes back to the core of what we started talking about for any site, 
any size, people, process, technology, they all have to be considered and really uh, how they work together. And you have to parse out different pieces of a campus in our sense, you know, the spatial awareness versus situational awareness, again, to, to the things that you've spoken about in your book, I think we look at it the same way. You know, a, a, a single building has a different consideration than the surroundings of that building. And then when you get to the 16 acres in its entirety, and then what do our neighbors do? You know, we just continue to build that out. Uh, and then the vertical as well, what, what's happening below grade, what's happening above grade, and what's happening in the space above a campus, you know, what, what's in the sky, what's in the sky around, you know, we've got the West uh, side highway and the buildings on that side, but then we've got the, the Hudson river. So we have to be cognizant of anything and everything. And so we really have to parse that out. Uh, you know, I'm a big proponent of understanding those different elements and how you have to think about each one individually. You can't just look at everything all the time. Uh, so while we may be looking at skateboarders, that's only one thing, you know, that it's, it's amongst dozens, uh, if not uh, multiple dozens of things. So, so Chaim, lots of takeaways, lots of testimony, and you've really brought the environment in which you work uh, to life, which is which is great. I think everyone's curious, uh, especially about your environment. Um, but in terms of a takeaway, if I might force one, right? I know I should just ask you what what can we take away. But I, but I, but I want to suggest that your skill in scaling security for a large facility, I want to suggest that's a special skill that perhaps a solo operator might not yet have. Uh, you, you know, being in more than uh, one place at the same time uh, is, is rather difficult, right? Replicating yourself. These are the sorts of things that small business owners go through, uh, you, you know, with their teething problems. Um, the army of one, but, uh, but you can't be everywhere. So, 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 so I would ask, what can people learn from you in marshalling all these resources and, and, and being passionate through the work of others in such a large area. I think what you're forcing is exactly right. I, and I appreciate the, uh, the notation that the skill of doing this at scale. And, you know, I, you, you think of the matrix, uh, and I'll just bring it up because they just came out with the new matrix and Agent Smith multiplying himself everywhere, right? So for an individual practitioner in particular, I think the, the openness to learning uh, beyond even our core work uh, is important. Uh, you know, reading Elijah's book is great. Reading, uh, I know you just put out the new edition of the, the Dale June uh, EP book is great. So very important things within uh, a solo practitioner's environment to understand, but the openness and understanding that there are other things to learn about. So access control, uh, you know, when you think about residential teams, or convert commercial environments, knowing about locks and how those work together in integrated systems with cameras. It's being willing to open your library to all of those other things. And I think that there's a, there, there are numerous resources, be they uh, classes or training opportunities, but really just starting out by reading about it and trying to conceptualize what that means. You know, you don't have to understand all the intricacies of how the system works on the inside. There's a lot of logic internally to it, but in an environment that we're in today and understanding cameras, card readers, intercoms, uh, analytics, bringing all of that to light 
for a practitioner who works on a, on a, on a smaller scale, typically, uh, will allow them to understand what their role is in that bigger environment and how they might be able to leverage it. And then eventually, if they're looking to widen their scope and run programs, this will allow them to speak to all of those other elements. And eventually, if you're looking to run a, a company or have your own company, you would then have the ability to either speak to the expertise that you need to bring to the table as a consultant in those fields or be able to have that under under your your purview and really have programs that you can deploy that include that you know when you look at countermeasures countermeasures are people process and technology just opening up the the internal willingness to learn about them it can be difficult because there's a lot to it but i think with a little pain comes a lot of prosperity and so I think that's really the goal to getting to an at-scale understanding of what protection uh, is in any environment. And obviously, you've made that jump from music to security, which is quite unique. I mean, maybe there's, maybe there's others, right? It's quite, quite, quite special. Um, a lot of people have made the jump from military law enforcement to corporate security. And uh, I think, you know, we had Carlos Francisco on uh, last year and he said, well, one of the difficult things is you had a hierarchical structure where you gave orders, they were taken and it was implemented and it was all structured. Uh, suddenly you arrive in the private sector, you don't have those puppet strings, you don't have all of that. Um, and I had the opposite. I was a jazz uh, musician who stood on stage with folks and the improvisation, and this is where I got to disaster recovery business continuity, security, everything that happened, you, you had to work with people you may not have worked with before. So it's almost at the other, instead of being told exactly what you're doing, you get the very loose framework and it's improvisation. And that's what security and protection end up being because for all the planning that we do, it's it's you have to be ready to do the opposite. So in the other instance, I think it makes perfect sense. You know, and Carlos has his book on moving, for, you know, into the corporate environment. Uh, I think anybody can move into this space and it really, uh, it's, it's just a matter of the passion and openness to, to educating oneself. Uh, again, be it going to, to get uh, a degree is one thing. You know, I, I had the benefit of, of going to school and getting a master's in, in a field that, you know, that allowed me to look at fire science, uh, security management and emergency management, uh, but going to learn at, at, you know, Vehicle Dynamics Institute and learning how to drive and become an executive driver. However you're approaching it, you just need to be willing to take in all the information and synthesize it and make it work to actually get into the field. And that openness will work with the passion and it'll lead you there. I think really there's a lot of ways in and the passion is, I just, I really, I speak about passion because I want that to be for the guard in the field who needs to understand that there is a push towards professionalization. I think that's the goal. Uh, and there's a lot of opportunities for them. They, they don't, if they want to be a, a guard in the field forever, they could do that. And maybe move, if they want to move to supervision, it's the same concept. You have a passion for protecting people and you continue to learn your, your operating procedures and if you want to be, uh, again, in, in the technology space, you may just at this point be an operator at a console. But if you learn more about cameras and systems, you may be able to elevate yourself to run those command centers. So I think any person with a passion uh, can work towards it. Uh, you'd need to really be open to the educational aspect. But I think you can be in the military the law and law enforcement. You can be a, a civilian who's never been in it. You can identify the skills uh, as I worked to in what I had already done to, to bring that to the table. But at the 
center of it are two things, a passion for protecting people and property. Uh, people uh, need that and may not be aware of the need for it. And so we need to be able to communicate that. And then how do we bring that educational component in order to do that? And that's just a willingness on our part. So you've given a great idea. I'm sure Elijah's on board. Uh, we're going to rename this episode Security Improv or, or, or something like that. No, maybe not. I had a different one, but okay, keep going. We'll talk about it after. <laughs> <laughs> no, this is, th- th- this is great. And of course, we look forward to hearing more from you on Clubhouse and everything you uh, do. Uh, I know you, your, your friend Josh Phillips is also you know, prolific. So really, really enjoy uh, that side of the house. But, but this is nice. This is good. We, we, we're combining, yes, uh, a venue that everyone is curious about and, and perhaps want to you know, work in conjunction with, but the story of large scale um, versus perhaps the humble individual operator that has a one-on-one task. I think, I think that's a good dichotomy to bring to the magazine. And I'm, I'm really pleased we, we investigated it. Um, what's next for you, Chaim? I'm going to continue what I'm doing, keeping people safe and secure. I uh, really need to just buckle down in this environment and make sure that with budgets where they are, with people uh, still concerned, that we're ensuring that people feel secure and safe in their environments, be it at, at work, at home, anywhere. I just think that we need to be cognizant of that. And as we head over, you know, we, we've got... My emergency management uh, side is is ticking, you know, as we get closer and closer to these other times of year on the East Coast when, you, when we've got nor'easters and then we head towards hurricane season. There's a lot of other things that can occur uh, that need to be uh, thought about. So I just put my head into the work and, and hope that we can continue these conversations in a demonstrable way to keep people safe and secure and feel comfortable that we're out there thinking about them uh, and ensuring their well-being good stuff love it well from elijah and myself thank you very much for joining us this has been thank a you for having me great to have you on and this has been another fantastic edition of the circuit magazine podcast well i've definitely got to get on another clubhouse episode between elijah and Hag. it's on a little bit late for the uk but i really really enjoy uh, that discussion. Um, it's it's actually been a really interesting episode, Sean, because, you know, working in a very large corporation, there are certain levers that you sort of know and trust that perhaps the smaller company, you just, you just, it's not comparable. Um, actually, I'd be interested in your thoughts uh, 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 about scaling and, and, you know, at least what Haim's message is about scaling yourself, you know, have in, in terms of relevance for our ep community yeah and it was it was good to hear his thoughts on that and i couldn't agree more if, you know if you're scaling you you're getting bigger your team is growing you need to have a good you know a good team ethos you know you need to have trust in your team good clear lines of command and if you're at the top of that tree you need to lead by example you know so as the team's growing you might not always have that face-to-face interaction with them because they may be working on another content or another town or another property or whatever that may be but every time they see you you should be leading by example and they should know what you expect um so yeah no it was, it was really good to hear that and if you are working over several different continents and you, you can't always get there in person there's a lot of tools available to us as well you, you know as we've seen during the lockdown there's no 
excuse for not being able to communicate. You know, we have Zoom, Teams, some fantastic radio systems now that go work off cellular systems. So you can keep in contact with your team at any time. So yeah, good team ethos, good chain of command, good communication is essential scaling any operation. And I feel, you know, by extension, that's an interesting tidbit or piece of advice for the whole EP community. Because even if you're a solo operator, you might have dreams of building out a company. And you might say, well, how could I ever? scale myself i'm the brand of one the army of one um how 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 has that uh, been for you and and for for people you you know it's it's interesting because that's exactly what's happened with me in my business um i named my business after myself and the reason i'd done that and put my name in the title was i wanted to be proud of everything that i'd done and i thought it just meant wherever i went or whoever i sent out to operate or work for me I would only put people there that I would know would work to the highest standards. And I thought by having my name there at the forefront, I'd want to maintain control of that, of who's employed, who's... And I think it's... I'm, I'm a medium-sized business, so I still have kind of control of everyone that comes in, that comes through me through recommendation or people I've worked with or team members that have worked with them. But I think once you get past that, you know, medium to large, that's when it starts getting a little bit more difficult to manage but when you're starting a new business and, and you, the question you asked was how do you scale yourself i think it's a difficult one i think definitely we should probably have get a few people in on a podcast for that i think it's a, that's a one for another another episode for sure you're right yeah you're right well well let me find a few uh, a few people round them up and we'll have a good uh, a good session on that um but separately you know it's all go 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 with the uh, naba protect app and the bba connect app as well as the uh, latest edition it's hit the shelves so um really really enjoying reading that what else um have we got uh, coming up that we 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 want people to sort of take note of well we all know the magazine we all know the podcast but not everyone has signed up to our newsletter, the circuit newsletter called On The Circuit, which comes out weekly. And I know it give John a shout out. He puts a lot of work into that every week, bringing lots of information. And it's, it's um, I've never been a big fan of newsletters. When you, people bombard your inbox, it's not like that. There's some great bits of information in there, um, all of interest. So definitely worth what, signing up for. If you go to the Circuit Magazine website, it's right at the top of the page, get your email address on there and get signed up to that and see what we've got to say. Perfect. We'll, we'll do that. That's, uh, that's our ask for you, the community, to have some fantastic uh, free uh, content coming through every week, very, very carefully curated. Uh, so, so, so absolutely recommended. Well, thanks very much to today's guest, Haim Roberts. It's a pleasure to have him on. And I think, you know, this is a key topic. Lots of people will end up some stage in their career working for a giant corporation or a really large organization. And so this is really relevant. From Sean and myself, this has been another fantastic edition of the Circuit Magazine podcast. You have been listening to the Circuit Magazine podcast. Be sure to subscribe and be sure to not miss an episode.